as Paul and other early Christians understood it, the life and death and the resurrection of Christ, it, it initiated this new age where, where all the nations, all, all the Gentiles um, would join, I think, with Israel in, in, in this beautiful picture of all the nations of the world coming together and worshiping the God of Israel together. my friends, and welcome back to the What If Project podcast. My name is Glenn Siepert. I'm your host, and this is episode number 156. And uh, today we're talking to my friend Sophia Hayden. Uh, Sophia is actually a listener of the podcast. Uh, She's a friend of mine on Facebook. She's part of our uh, Facebook community for the podcast. It's a closed uh, group with about 250 people in it. And uh, I invited her onto the show today because she's going to seminary. And her main kind of uh, topic of focus, her main focal point in seminary is the Apostle Paul. And uh, if you've listened to this podcast at all, especially in the last maybe six months or so, um, I have a I have an issue <laughs> with the Apostle Paul. Uh, I cannot read. I cannot think about Paul apart from the stuff that I learned about Paul growing up. So like the book of Romans, I can't even read the title of Romans without thinking of the Roman road to salvation, right? Like you need to believe A, B, and C, you know, you're a sinner, you're a terrible person, God's wrath is against you, you've got to believe A, B, and C, if you do that, God's wrath is lifted and you get you get to heaven when you die. And if you don't, you go to hell. Like That's essentially the Roman road. And it's like pulling these different verses out of Romans to build this road of salvation, of different steps you have to take. And I can't even think about the book of Romans without thinking about that. And then obviously you have you know the different verses uh, and some of the, the books about uh, the exclusion of women, the exclusion of LGBTQ people, uh, slavery. Uh, he seems to be really against Jewish people. Like so many things about Paul. Oh, God, let's not even, let's not even forget about like the rapture, right? I mean, that's a whole another issue. Like that, you know, that he's gonna, God, Jesus is gonna come back. He's gonna take people with him. They're gonna bodies are gonna raise out of the ground. I mean, holy smokes! Like the stuff that I learned when I was a kid. Ugh, oh man, my skin's already crawling just thinking about it. So anyway, I said to Sophia, she gave me her paper to read that she wrote for school. I was like, Sophia, you've got to come onto the show and uh, talk to me. Uh, about this paper and you have to answer my questions about Paul <laughs> and so uh, she obliged very kindly and she came onto the show to talk to me a little bit about the paper a little bit about my questions uh, regarding the Apostle Paul and some things like that so I hope uh, this will be helpful for you uh, if you listen like a few episodes back I think it's maybe four or five episodes back uh, I talked to Eric Smith who's actually one of Sophia's professors so we had the teacher on now we have the student on and uh, he talked to me also about the Apostle Paul. 
uh, based upon a book that he wrote called Paul uh, the Progressive. And uh, really, really good stuff. So I hope that this can help you. If you listen to that episode, this would be a really good follow-up to that episode. Or maybe this episode will be a good starter. That'll be a good follow-up. I don't know. Whatever order you want to do it in, it doesn't matter. But if you've got questions about Paul, like I do, uh, this episode is for you. Uh, In the show notes, uh, go to the show notes, check out Patreon, and uh, buy me a coffee, two places to go to support the show financially. Uh, The Heretic Shop, we've got some new t-shirts. Uh, sweatshirts and hoodies, some other stuff is coming down the pipeline soon. All the profits that that store makes get donated. So in the description of the product, uh, I will put where that money will go. So if you buy something like a sweatshirt, I think I make like three bucks per sweatshirt, uh, that money will get donated to whatever organization or individual uh, that you see listed in the in the description. So I'll put all that stuff in the show notes. Special music today is from my friend Derek Webb. Uh, Derek Webb used to be part of the band Cademan's Call back in the day, uh, and I used to listen to them all the time, and now he's making his own music. Uh, he's working on a new album called The Jesus Hypothesis, and I actually talked to him one, two weeks ago. Uh, that episode will be dropping in a couple weeks where he kind of talks to us about it, but he's doing really good work in the world. I'm really excited about the new album. I love his music. He's a very gifted, kind, compassionate human being. Uh, So search him on iTunes, Spotify, all the places, download his music, pass it around, do all the things, uh, Derek Webb. And so all of that to say, my friends, uh, this is episode number 156. Uh, Let's roll the tape with Sophia Hayden. Enjoy. Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. Uh, today we're sitting down with my friend Sophia Hayden. Uh, Sophia is actually a frequent listener of the podcast, a friend, a seminarian, and someone whose thoughts about God and faith and the Bible and all of the things have both challenged and inspired me. So I'm excited to share her voice with you today. So Sophia, welcome to the podcast. It's an honor to talk with you in this capacity. <laughs> hey Glenn, thanks for having me. I'm I'm really excited to be here and uh, to share what I'm what I'm currently learning. Absolutely. So before we get into all of that heavy stuff, uh, maybe begin by telling us a little bit about your yourself and your story. Who are you? Uh, what do you do? Uh, a glimpse into the life of Sophia. Awesome. Yeah. Um, just like many of the listeners here at the What If Project podcast, um, I would describe myself as an ex-evangelical, uh, someone who's currently experiencing, you know, deconstruction. And, and I would say um, definitely deep, deep spiritual reconstruction as well, um, mm. simultaneously. Sure. Um, I, I, I do consider myself to be right now a, a progressive Christian. I'm a member of the United Church of Christ, actually. Um, I'm also a member of the LGBT community. Mm. Uh, I recently 
graduated from Kent State University, uh, where in Kent, Ohio, where I grew up, um, and I studied religious studies and Jewish studies. Um, my education there at Kent State really um, influenced me to become what I believe throughout the rest of my life an, an interfaith advocate. Um, my partner is Jewish, and um, yeah, this this conversation um, about Judaism really really matters to me. So that's awesome. And you're off to seminary soon, correct? Yeah, I'm I'm headed this fall to Iliff School of Theology in Denver, uh, yeah. where I will be studying for my master of master of divinity degree um, with a concentration in spiritual care and chaplaincy. I'm I'm really excited about Iliff because uh, they're. I, I believe there they will prepare me for pluralistic ministry. Um, mm -hmm. inter, you know, they have an interfaith faculty and student body. Um, I'm really looking forward to it, and I and I know that. Um, yeah, I, I believe you had a one of my future professors on the podcast a few weeks ago. I did. Um, Eric Smith. Yeah. Yeah. He's a great guy, and he uh, he talked a lot about his book uh, that he wrote, Paul the Progressive. Yeah. So yeah. I'm really excited to learn from him. That's awesome. And uh, so you want to be a, you want to be a chaplain then? Am, am, am I correct in assuming that? You know, I, I, I do think, I do think that's where the spirit will lead, but mm -hmm. I'm so early in the, in the process. I'm just heading <laughs> this fall. I, I don't, I'm not sure, but I know that uh, chaplaincy and interfaith work, um, that's where my heart is for sure. You mean you don't have your whole life planned out yet, Sophia? <laughs> <laughs> That's oftentimes, oftentimes when you go into seminary, people are like, they just assume you know what you're going to do with your life. And when I was in seminary, I was like, I have no idea <laughs> what I'm going to do. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we'll see, but I, I'm hopeful and, I, and I'm excited. That's awesome. So your study, uh, kind of your, your big interest is on the Apostle Paul. And like you said, I had Eric um, on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and um, I was telling him that I have this love, hate, mostly hate relationship with Paul because his writings often come off to me as uh, super snobbish, sometimes anti-women, anti-LGBTQ, pro-slavery in kind of weird ways. And sometimes like I can't wrap my head around him in light of my own personal experience with with Christ. And so I guess I'm wondering like why why do you have this interest in Paul? Like of all the people and all the things that you could choose to study. What is it about Paul that really picks at your uh, interest? Um, that's a great question. I, a lot of people, you know, when I tell them I'm interested in studying Paul and they know I'm, you know, a member of the LGBT community, they, they can't really reconcile <laughs> Two that. Two things I, that don't go together. <laughs> I totally get that. And um, really, I, when I was studying at Kent State, I, I just noticed that a lot of the people around me had, had issues with the Apostle Paul, um, especially those in you know Christians who had been deconstructing their faith and and their beliefs around the scriptures um, and the inerrancy of the scriptures you know like you said he can be he can seem so rude and mm -hmm. harsh and, and prideful and anti-Jewish and anti-Semitic the list goes on yeah. um, <laughs> but not only that I I really did wonder why my New Testament professors at Kent State acted like Paul and the other Jewish Jesus followers had issues. I, growing up, you didn't like in evangelical culture, at least for me, I, I just feel like I didn't, I wasn't given the picture of Paul that he had issues with the other apostles. And that, that didn't sit well with me. Um, mm -hmm. And then I learned that Paul had only met 
Jesus post-resurrection. Um, and, and even despite that, even despite not being one of his apostles during, during Jesus's life, um, his, his writings make up well half over um, the New Testament. When I, when I learned about this, it, it just really concerned me. Um, I became skeptical of Paul, kind of skeptical of the New Testament. Uh, I didn't know why a guy who hadn't met him had so much say in, mm-hmm. in Christian theology and in Christian canon. And um, I just knew that if I was going to start, if I was going to hold on to my faith, I just needed to start working out my issues with Paul. And in my paper specifically, um, I focused on anti-Semitism. I, I didn't touch on that. You know, there's all different ways to study Paul. You can study Paul and, you know, um, Paul and the law, Paul and women, you know, Paul and empire. There's all, all different things you can study. But my focus, because my Jewish friends in my life have been, uh, have played such an important role in my journey, I, I really felt like I needed to focus on what we understand to be Paul's anti-Jewish rhetoric so much of the time um, and what his problem was it seemed with Judaism mm. I'm really glad that I was I had the opportunity this this past year to dive deeper in into this study um yeah that's awesome, that's I, awesome. Think I think like Paul is very I don't know it's like it's almost like you I was taught that Paul Paul came I wasn't told this like explicitly like but this is the way it felt that like Paul came to show us what Jesus really meant and I always thought that was like so weird that like we had Jesus, we have the gospels and we have this guy, like you said, who never really met Jesus physically, but had this weird mystical experience with Jesus. And then he wrote all these books that we take at like face value and Jesus kind of gets pushed to the back burner and Paul comes to the front, <laughs> tells us what Definitely. Jesus really meant. Definitely. That's, a, that's such a hard thing to reconcile. So, yeah, well, that's really cool that you're able to to dive into that. And you sent me your, your thesis and it's fantastic, but I'm curious. Um, I learned a lot of things, but what specifically did you learn? And that's a question that I like to ask like a lot of authors, researchers, whatever, obviously you set out with an idea of what to write and you had a fair amount of knowledge, you know, going into it, but in your study, uh, in your prep and the writing process, like what, what were some of the big aha moments that you had about Paul that maybe you didn't realize before you started uh, writing. Yeah, so I learned that there are more than there's what more than one way to understand uh, the teachings of Paul mm-hmm. and the law. Um, there are actually three major sp- perspectives of Paul in Judaism. Uh, the first perspective is the Lutheran perspective, the the understanding um, that Paul converted from Judaism to Christianity. Even though I will say, you know, Christianity wasn't a, a religion yet. Um, And within this perspective, Paul talked a lot about justification in, in, in reference to individual salvation. Uh, This, this Paul believed that justification happened only by faith alone. You know, we hear this, we hear this in church all the time. Uh, This faith alone for Luther was, was contrasted with, with the Jewish law. And, and this would paint uh, the law you know, and the, and the Jewish people who practiced the law as, as self-righteous. And uh, this perspective, you know, painting the Jews as self-righteous, along with his writings on the Jewish people towards the end of his life, um, many think that these beliefs 
that Luther had um, is, is what's to blame for much of the escalating anti-Semitism into the future, all the way even to the Holocaust. I mean, we're not gonna blame the entire Holocaust on Hitler, but it's no wonder, uh, or on Luther, but it's no wonder that, uh, that Hitler claimed that Luther was one of the greatest heroes of history. Um, and that's pretty problem problematic to, to say the least. Um, the next two perspectives though, these are the two perspectives that really, really gave me hope. Um, they gave me hope to rediscover, rediscover Paul. Um, and the, the baseline of this conversation is that we just need a new understanding of Judaism following the Holocaust. We, we can't allow these, um, these things that Luther said to, to set the tone in Christianity that way towards Jews, uh, especially following the Holocaust. So in this new perspective, the rabbis and Second Temple Jews, they were not looking for salvation. Uh, Second Temple literature was, was surveyed by new perspective scholars like E.P. Sanders and, and James Dunn, and they, they realized that if you were Jewish, you were saved into the covenant upon your circumcision. You weren't looking for a way into the family of God. Um, it was it was part of being Jewish. It was part of of being born into the covenant. And in the Torah, the rules that were built into the Torah, they they uh, they were how to stay into the covenant. Um, how how you would know that you were remaining within the terms set out for God's elected people. Um, one could could leave the covenant, I guess, by by disobedience. But nobody ever had to get in to the family of God mm. by, their own, by their own efforts. Um, and fundamentally, I, th I think this shows us that grace, it was always a part of Judaism. Mm. Yeah, Christianity did not invent grace. And um, that's just so very important to remember. The more, that's one of the most fascinating <laughs> contributions, I think, uh, of the New Perspective scholars. Mm. Um, in, in this perspective, the law and identity markers they were not bad for all time, according uh, according to Paul. Like like Luther said, they they did serve a function um, in this perspective until the New Age, uh, when you know the, the age of Jesus, when these these scholars presume that Paul believed that the law became relativized. Mm -hmm. um, now I think this perspective added so much to the conversation about you know, inherent grace, uh, in, in Judaism, uh, that is so important, but the new perspective or the radical new perspective, the one that I focused so much on in my paper, mm -hmm. um, I devoted so much of my, of my, my time to this perspective and I'm very passionate about it. Um, many of these scholars are, are that focus on this perspective are Jewish scholars mm -hmm. of the new Testament and, and Talmudic scholars. So, they add a very interesting angle to the discussion of, you know, the parting of, of Judaism and, and Christianity and, and Paul's usage and, and Paul's language um, in, that he used hmm. in the letters. Um, this perspective, it builds on the ideas of the new perspective, like inherent justification for Jews, but it really, it, it adds a lot of nuance to Paul's understanding of non-Jew justification or, or Gentile justification. Mm. Uh, this, this perspective claims that Paul 
remained Jewish. He never converted, uh, which is pretty radical. We, you know, we hear the story of uh, the Damascus Road experience and many people frame it as, as Paul leaving Judaism for something called Christianity. Mm. And that's, that's not really um, how these scholars in the radical new perspective uh, view uh, what happened to Paul on the, on the Damascus road. It seems more that he saw himself as like more of a Jewish prophet, um, like, like the Hebrew mm. prophets. He, he thought it was his, his role or his call uh, to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And any time that we hear Paul claiming that the law uh, was a means to death or, or something, um, or any time that he was talking to his addressees about circumcision and the harm of circumcision, um, we just need to remember who it was that Paul was writing to. He, mm. he wasn't writing to, to Jews. Mm. Um, he was the apostle apostle to the Gentiles. He, he was addressing uh, Gentile synagogue sub, subgroups, not, not Jewish people. He wasn't telling Jewish people to not circumcise because they were already circumcised. Right. You can't undo it. <laughs> on the eighth day. So, right. so it's just, um, that's my, my most interesting part um, of this perspective. And, and we, and we see this, you know, in Romans 15, when, when Paul calls himself um, a minister of, of Jesus Christ, of Christ mm. Jesus to the Gentiles, we, yeah. we hear him refer to himself all the time in this specific role. Mm. Um, he, Paul believed God's plan required the Gentiles, uh, according to this perspective, to worship the God of Israel as Gentiles, mm. not, not Jews, not proselytes, um, just as they were. And and this matters um, to Christians, I think, because it forces us to recognize that that the covenantal nature of God and and, and our place within it, um, as Paul and other early Christians understood it, the life and death and the resurrection of Christ, it it initiated this new age where where all the nations, all, all the Gentiles um, would join, I think, with Israel um, in, in, in this beautiful picture of all the nations of the world coming together and um, worshiping the God of Israel together. Um, yeah, in, in Micah 4, um, it's, this is the, the verse that um, a lot of New Perspective scholars use. It says, in, in days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains. It shall be raised up above the hills. People shall stream to it, and many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach his ways, and that, me, and that we may walk in his path. And that, and that is such a beautiful picture of of you know this multi-ethnic group of you know, people who worship the one God. Mm. It sounds to me like what you're a big thing you're saying is that really the, the context of Paul is super important because a lot of oh. times we read Paul through our own context, through our, our own lens of living in 2021 20, North America. <laughs> and right. we, we, we had to realize that we had to kind of pump the brakes and realize that Paul was writing to a very specific group of people. And sometimes I think too, like when we read Paul, 
it's good for every book in the Bible, really, but I think in particular Paul, because so many of his writings were letters to these churches. It's like we're we're reading a letter, but Paul was writing the letter to a church that had the context. Like he was writing to the people who they had context. So he didn't have to say everything in order to give the context of what he was saying because the people he was writing to already knew it. Whereas you and I, it's like we're reading over his shoulder and we're reading these different things he's saying, but we don't have the all of the context because we don't live in the time in which he was writing. Does that make sense? Right, definitely. Yep. Yeah. And yeah. a lot of other concerns that that we don't we don't think about. I really, what I really appreciate about your work though in, in that paper is that you you bring to light these other ways to read Paul. And I think that's that's really at the heart of what this podcast is all about. Just asking what if there are ways to think about this stuff that are different than what our traditions have handed us. And for me, you know, just my own tradition was more of like the Luther type of tradition. You know, it's about oh, faith alone. And that was like a huge, I mean, I that just hearing those words, faith alone makes me makes my spirit cringe <laughs> because it brings so much baggage with it. But that was the only uh, avenue that I was really given. And then when I've learned other things from people like, you know, just reading like N.T. Wright stuff and you know, reading your paper, uh, talking to Eric Smith and reading this other stuff that helps shed a different light on it is is so, so important. So I think you're doing wonderful work. So props to you. Oh, thank you. So um, anyway, um, I was thinking like, as we were talking, I think like a lot of the problem that I have with Paul kind of going back to my love hate relationship with him is that like all the stuff I was taught about his writings, like in church and Sunday school and even college and seminary was taught through that lens of evangelicalism, as opposed Mm -hmm. to the lens of um, his own Jewishness. Like you said, it's I was all, I've given this picture that on the road to Damascus, he converted to Christianity, <laughs> you know, and like right. now, now he's a Christian and he abandons all this other stuff and being Jewish is wrong and all this other stuff. And so like, I think a lot of the problems I have with him stem from my own personal struggle to separate what he's saying or might be saying from what I was actually taught he was saying. Like, again, it's hard for me to read his stuff apart from the doctrine of original sin uh, end oh, times yeah. theology subordination of women i can't read romans without thinking of the roman road (laughs) like that's that that's like also ingrained in my mind um and so all that stuff is like very triggering so i'm wondering i guess my question is as someone who is well versed in paul like what do you think is the harm of reading paul and maybe in in particular teaching paul to other people uh, apart from from his context yeah um so like at least in reference to anti-Semitism and anti-Judaism, like I had mentioned earlier, theologians throughout history have had a tendency like to interpret Paul, Paul through in light of, of their own context and their own experiences. You know, the early church reading Paul in light of their split with Judaism, Augustine, you know, he read Paul in light of his own conversion experience um, because he did have one and he saw Paul, as a convert, you know, even though Christianity wasn't a religion at the time, and and Luther, you know, he he was his readings of Paul and talk on justification and um, faith faith versus works doctrine, you know, that was all in light of his problems with the Catholic Church. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have Hitler, you know, Hitler read Paul in light of Luther mm-hmm. and and Luther's commands to burn down synagogues and and put the Jewish people to work and withhold protection from the Jewish people and, and take away their books and, and, um, and the belongings of the Jewish people. 
my 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 point is that, uh, like as you said, theologians in their contexts, in other words, history, have entered our understanding of Paul and his discourse along um, on the law along the way, very deeply, and and everyone tends to interpret Paul through their own context and, and motivations. And the horror of the Holocaust gave gave a reason. It gave us a reason to reevaluate Paul's teachings. Uh, on the Jewish people and the law. It, what, what's, what, what was good for this conversation and what is so important to this conversation um, was the founding of the finding of so much Second Temple Jewish literature. Um, it, you know, like the Dead Sea Scrolls and, and Apocrypha, this literature provided us a way to reevaluate our understanding of, of the Second Temple Jewish world and the Messianic concerns of the time, the, the concerns that, that Paul shared and, and the earliest apostles shared, these two events, uh, they, they, they're what triggered this, this new Pauline scholarship. And we just have had so much reason, you know, more than enough reason to start, to start mending our relationship um, with the Jewish people. Yeah. I mean, it's a, sl- it's a slippery slope, right? Because you don't often, you don't think, well, just because I have this view of Paul doesn't mean I'm going to, you know, initiate another Holocaust or burn books. But the point is that, you know, that it's that type of thinking that when left unchecked can certainly lead down that road. Yeah. And if, and if we yeah. have this new scholarship, we should do our due, due diligence and yeah. search yeah. out new ways to understand um, Paul's relationship to the Torah and, and Paul's relationship to the Jewish people and in the way that he understood the, the church to be. Yeah, especially, I mean, especially reading Paul in through the lens, not of our own beliefs, our own denomination, or our own traditions, but let's read it through the lens of Christ, right? Because, I mean, if you look at Christ, I mean, Christ was the most inclusive person ever. I mean, everyone was welcome in his presence. And how can we read Paul and come to a conclusion that's different than that. Yeah. So last question for you, uh, what is your advice to people who have been uh, abused by Paul's writing? Like for them, uh, maybe people have had Paul's words weaponized against them, women forced into silence, LGBTQ people clobbered uh, with his words, teenager threatened with the Roman road, gonna go to hell. Uh, maybe they, they feel intrigued by Paul, kind of intrigued by this discussion that there's, more ways to think about him than the ways they were handed, but maybe they're hesitant to pick his work back up because of the baggage that they're carrying. What's your advice for that person and where, where should they begin? I think the first step is to realize that not everything that has been attributed to Paul was actually written by Paul. Mm. Um, the, the letters that we know that the unanimously scholars can agree on um, that, that Paul wrote um there's, there's, yeah, there's only seven of them. For mm. First Thessalonians, Galatians, First Corinthians, Philippians, Philemon, and Second Corinthians, and Romans. Those are the only ones that we know that that, that most likely um, were written by him. And another thing is that it's not that the other letters that we have that people traditionally attributed to him um, were were trying to, you know trash his name or be, be, they, they weren't trying to be sneaky and, and, and trick the future mm. church. Um, the, the, when, when ancient writers would write in the name of their teachers, 
they would do it out of respect. They would mm-hmm. do it to honor him and, and not to deceive. And um, we don't have to throw those books away. We just need to remember their context and, mm-hmm. and most likely that, that Paul uh, didn't write them. And, and what we'll see is that a lot of the problematic passages that, that, that we have, you know, especially with, uh, regarding women, a lot of those ideas aren't, didn't come from the genuine letters of Paul. Mm-hmm. Um, so d- exploring that, that can lead people to some freedom, I think. Um, and, hey, I think it's pretty cool that we have seven books that we're pretty certain that Paul wrote. <laughs> that excites me. I, I I really am excited about that. Um, like, yeah, the pseudo-Pauline books, they they aren't junk. They, they can be useful in understanding the, the concerns of uh, the Pauline congregations a generation or so after him. And, and if that's, if, if you want more, um, I, I also suggest to search out books like Paul the Progressive uh, mm-hmm. by Reverend Dr. Eric Smith. Um, I'm, I'm in the middle of that book right now. And when it comes to supposed anti-Semitism in Paul, I would say search out books by uh, Jewish Pauline scholars. There are actually quite a few uh, Jewish Pauline scholars right now, like Mark Nanos, Pam Eisenbaum. She's a Professor Iliff, the school I'm going to be heading to, and Paula Fredrickson. They are all um, scholars who have so much to teach us from a Jewish perspective about who Paul was and his concerns and who Jesus was, you know. Um, I've, I've been learning so much from them, and and I still have so much to learn from them. I'm only mm-hmm. just now getting getting into this conversation. For sure. Well, you're you're a lot deeper in it than I am, so I'm a ways behind you. But <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll do our our due diligence together. Thank you. And and one last thing, um, I think the most important thing that I that I would like to share that I that I learned during my undergraduate uh, religious studies degree, whenever Dr. Eric Smith came on, he mentioned a scholar named Christer Stendhal. Uh, he was the bishop of Sweden at one point, and a major interfaith advocate. Um, he proposed three rules when trying to understand another religion. Mm. Um, and the first one is to ask the adherents of that religion and not enemies, mm. not the enemies of the religion. The second is don't compare the best of your religion to the worst of their religion. Mm. And third is to leave room for ho- what he calls holy envy. Um, I've, as a part of the Jewish studies program, I have, I have developed a holy envy uh, <laughs> for Judaism and, and it's just um, opened my eyes to the complexity um, between this, you know, the story of Judaism and Christianity and in the history between the two of us, um, you know, the most, the most practical application, I believe, reviewing Paul within Judaism is just essentially that the embracing of the Jewish people exactly as they are. Um, and though Judaism can exist without Christian, you know, Judaism can exist without Christianity, but Christianity cannot exist without Judaism. And, and I believe that this fact should lead the church to show love and, and respect for the Jewish people. And especially in our theology, because theology has so, you know, so much to do. It has such an effect on, on history. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, uh, Barbara Brown Taylor wrote the book Holy Envy, and she borrowed, you know, the obviously the title from that that work that yeah. you just mentioned. But when I talked to her, it was about a year, maybe a little over a year ago, and 
she just talked about how like digging into these other faiths, whether it be uh, Judaism, whether it be Buddhism, whatever, like it's not, it's not to, to change them to be like you. It's not to change you to be like them. It's just to learn about the other and to realize that as many differences we, as we might have, there's a lot of similarities. And at the end of the day, we all wear human flesh. And I can look at Judaism. I can look at this, this new way of looking at Paul that you've been talking about, and I can have a growing appreciation for something that's not part of my tradition, but perhaps can make me a better follower of Jesus. She says that, you know, I, I study these other things. I learn about these other things, but I don't feel like I need to convert to these other things, but they make me a better follower of Christ. And I always return back to him at night because he's the one who, you know, compels me. And I think that's such an interesting way to look at it. For sure. Definitely. That, that book has been Holy Envy by Reverend Barbara Von Taylor has been instrumental in, in my uh, education. I, I even wrote one of my seminary essays about that book. So there you go. There you go. Barbara Brown Taylor, the goat, <laughs> the greatest of all time. Well, hey, Sophia, uh, we're just about out of time, but this has been uh, a lot of fun. Uh, thank you so much for taking time to talk to me. And real quick, where can people go online to find you or connect with you? What social media platforms do you you hang out on? Yes, thanks, Glenn. Thanks for having me. I can be found um, just my Facebook, Sophia Hayden, and then I, I have an Instagram, um, Hey Soph. H-A-Y underscore S-O-P-H. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'll put the links to those in the show notes and I'm sure eventually you'll be writing some books too. So we'll put those, <laughs> we'll put those in the show notes later on. <laughs> Thanks, Glenn. Thanks for All having right, me. Sophia, you're welcome.